This is, God, I don't know. This is episode two of Pals with Bill Wadman up on the roof, which is very exciting. Uh, my friend Molly's here, who's moving out of New York I know, in a I matter know. of days. One week from today, the movers come. Is that, does that feel really surreal? Yeah, especially because New York is so closed down right now and so many people aren't here. You know, I when I was thinking about moving before, I was like, you know, I got to get a best of list, all the things I want to do. So that has been a total failure. None of those things. Yeah, you can't do done. any of those no, best of things. No. Um, and how long have you been in New York? Um, August 1st will be two years. Okay. Two years. So I'll be just, just under two years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the reason why we have you on here is that, that in, in a former life <laughs> or in a current <laughs> life, you were a shoe designer. I was. Yes. Yeah. Kids shoes. Kids shoes. Now, did, was it was it always kid shoes or because like you interned somewhere else, didn't you? I did. I interned at Reebok and that was adult shoes, specifically their training and CrossFit. OK, which you got to think for for Reebok has to be 55 percent of the market or something like that. No. Yeah. they. I mean, especially then that must have been uh, about four years ago now before Nike really had signed anyone. They were all CrossFit all the time. Yeah. I remember, see, I'm I'm old enough to remember when CrossFit wasn't a thing and then it was a thing. <laughs> like there was a period like yeah. in the late 80s, 90s, like when it's like, oh, we're going to start with Bo Jackson, like doing the like. And you had people just running around the gym, like a regular gym being like, no, I have to do a sprint and then deadlift. And yes, because we're crossfitting. Yeah. It's such a, see, it feels like the market of all of this stuff of, of 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 shoe wear in general mm-hmm. is driven by the people who make the shoes as much as it is the needs of the people who wear them. That's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> All designers are very egocentric. It's we want to design for ourselves. It's fascinating. And then the other thing is that, that I always feel like, especially with like kids' shoes, mm-hmm. that there was a period of time, I don't know, maybe like 10, 15 years ago, where instead of making kids' shoes, they made small versions of adult shoes. Yeah. Like that became like the thing, like, oh, we want the shoes that I wear, but I want little ones for my kid. Yeah, that's still going on very much especially because most kids shoe brands are not specific to kids shoes so you have your nikes and adidas's and they just make smaller versions of the adult converse shoes. and all the rest yeah um i worked for stride right which was specifically kids shoes so we didn't have a mini me version we were only doing the kids version yeah and stride right is an independent company it's not owned by any other like larger brand it is so it is owned by Wolverine. Um, we have the license. My company, Vita Shoes, had the license to do the design work for them. Okay, interesting. All right, see, yeah. this is like this. Okay, so when you were in school, mm-hmm. what were you studying? I was an industrial design major with a minor in accessory design. But I went into art school being like, I want to design shoes. Like, that's for me. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, like athletic shoes and sneakers specifically or more like formal shoes? Originally, I thought formal shoes, and that definitely changed over time. But I, and I could have been an accessory design major, which would have been specific to handbags and footwear. But I felt like that was restricting myself. And yeah. product design is more holistic. And a lot of schools only have product design majors, and footwear falls under that. So yeah, it's 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 because I always look at. Man, footwear is just such a fascinating thing to me because I, I am not, I am definitely not one of those people who's like a shoe hound or anything like that. Yeah. You know, like I, here a I have beast. these like weird Mephisto sandals, are which are Birken, not cheap shoes. Birkenstocks? 
They're Mephistos. Oh, they're Italian. So they're like so they're fancy. They're, they're essentially an Italian fancy Birkenstock. Yeah. Yeah. And they're expensive, but you know what? They Birkenstocks cost a hundred and something dollars and last a year. Oh, I've had my Birkenstocks for years, <laughs> but if you buy them in Germany, you get them at half price because you can get them. Oh, is that the trick? Mm-hmm. See, yeah. the problem is I wear out the bottoms of my shoes. I think I just walk very heavily, so I just my, wear the heck out of my shoes. Yeah, that rubber is. And this is really good. These Now, these are like four years old now, so they, they die. But these are $300 sandals, Whoa. you know what I mean? Or whatever it is. Yeah. $250 sandals. But they, like, will last more than twice as long as Birkenstocks will for me. Yeah. So, you know, it's worth buying them, you know what That's I mean? That's also part of the reason I like footwear design instead of some other things, you know, with technology the a lot of planned obsolescence yeah um so you know your iphone 6 is only going to last you so long before it's going to stop allowing you to update but shoes there's less of a planned obsolescence and just you wear it out and you're going to need new ones so yeah. as like a i try to be an eco-conscious person i feel a little bit better about that yeah but. well i mean for kids though I mean, you have you have obsolescence <laughs> of growth, right? I mean, th- yeah. there must be some industry term for that, right? Like the like um, how long these shoes will last on your average kid who's size seven? Yeah, it's fourteen months or seven. On six average, months. actually, kids grow up a half size every six months. There you go. That's what I was. So looking So you are, I mean, you're burning through those shoes, which is funny because we have all of these standards of testing that it's like your sh- they make sure the shoe can flex maybe like 300,000 times yep. before the material starts to rub. But They put on one of those weird bending machines. Yeah, which are really weird if you ever see them. They yeah. go super fast, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, in six months, a kid's probably not going to wear a shoe enough that they're going to flex it 300,000 times. Right, right, right. So, so in some ways, kids' shoes are over-engineered because your kid is going to grow out of them before, you know. Yeah, a lot of time that tends to be the case, but also, you know, kids are heavy walkers. They're plomping around always. They don't know how to, they're not exactly soft on the feet. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, uh, it's, God, kid shoes. The, you know, when I was a kid, God, I don't know what I wore, Nikes? I guess I wore Nikes, but I was like never, okay. The other day I was watching uh, uh, an Instagram feed. And it was like some guy, I don't know, taking a picture with his phone or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he was kneeling down and whatever shoes he had on were some some Nike special sneakerhead shoe. Yeah. And some girl comes over to him and says, the person shooting the video comes over and goes, oh my God, do you understand what you have on your feet right now? <laughs> and the kid kicked it off and bent it over and like squished the shoe. <gasps> People lose their minds over that. Yeah, and and this girl just like was why you know like like that. And as somebody who doesn't care about sneakers, yeah. do you understand the whole sneakerhead mentality? I do, and I don't. I've never been a real sneakerhead. Like, let's buy a bunch of sneakers and then don't wear them. Yeah. So, have you ever been to a sneakerhead store? Uh, I've watched the people outside of them. You know what I mean? Which is in a whole other exhibit. And I've seen the episode of uh, Entourage where Turtle wants the very specific <laughs> pair of shoes yeah. and, and Vince ends up buying him a $40,000 pair of custom mm-hmm. shoes. Yeah. So the sneakerheads are interesting. You know, a lot of the stores will have their appointment only, their limited edition, yeah. um, which is sort of crazy to me, even as someone who designs shoes. But they also a lot of times will have things shrink wrapped. So they'll get a pair of shoes into the store, and the one that's on display is shrink wrap. So if yep. anyone touches it, yeah. it's going to be okay, which, I mean, a shoe is meant to get a little beat up. The ones that I find more interesting are people who customize shoes, so who will take apart a Nike, and they'll redo it with different materials and the shoe. So it's really one of one. 
What are, what are they impressive. swapping out? The the the. Okay, well, hold on a second. Just so we have our nomenclature okay. right. What? Okay, the leather stuff on the top of the shoe. The leather stuff on the top of the shoe is the upper. Okay. The bottom, which is usually rubber or EVA, the is sole. the outsole. 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 So the okay. outsole, and then if you want to get even more specific, the part yep. that you see on the side yep. is the midsole and the actual, and then you have the bottom plate, yeah. which is going to be what's touching the ground. Right. And that bottom plate could be five, six layers of different stuff, theoretically, in some yeah. fancier shoes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Usually they're a mix of... Um, Rubber and EVA, typically, those are yeah. just the standard. Now, you're if you're talking sneakers, you're basically the overall design that that Converse came up with when they started making athletic shoes in the 30s or 40s or whatever yeah. it is is basically what still people are still using today. Yeah, and things have become a bit more refined, I would say. So we've learned a lot more about last making, and that's the shape that they make the shoe around. Right. And so as people's feats and needs have changed, I would th- say that's changed, and maybe. To be the, more comfortable to more people kind of thing? or Yeah, to be more comfortable to more people. And I think they didn't have, the last just weren't exactly the correct shapes before. They were more just sort of lumps that were sort of foot looking. Yeah. So those have become more precise and the shoe becomes more comfortable. And so then, the current lasts actually look more like a foot than the old school lasts. Yeah, definitely. Especially if you see a wood last, um, yeah. which, I mean, people still hand make lasts and a lot of them still are. But yeah. um, usually they're like plastic polyurethane and that's been yeah. milled and whatever so it's very exact when when you and i talked a few months ago i like mentioned how i had those like alan edmund shoes that i i that mm-hmm. i bought which like they were expensive i bought them for my wedding i would never spend that kind of money on <laughs> shoes but they're good shoes and if i take care of them they last for 20 years yep. right you know um and i don't wear them that often so it's like they're like my three times a year shoes you know what i mean and yeah. i you know um but but and I understand why those shoes cost a lot of money because they're all like handmade in America by people who have to spend. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they're, yeah. they're expensive. They're actually expensive to make. But so many of the brands, probably the brands that you've worked for, are manufacturing piles of these things in you know mm-hmm. Vietnam or 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 China. China. Yeah. China and Vietnam are the big footwear areas. Um, India is trying to break into that game a little bit. Yeah. They do more leather goods than, you know, sport, sports footwear, like athletic footwear. Yeah, and you, you've you traveled to China before for I have. This. Um, I've been three times, four times now, um, and three weeks at a time, so it's a long time to be away from home. So what what is, what is the idea that you're going over there to double-check whether the manufacturing is up to snuff and things are coming out right? So I actually don't go to the production factories. Okay. I go to the sample rooms, which is where a lot of the workers are and where the team that I work directly with is. But essentially the process is we send them the side profile of a shoe after we've designed the outsole. With, so that'll be the upper pattern. And we go over there to check the patterns and see how they look. So they're taking our 2D sketch into the 3D form, and we need to make oh, sure. So your job, you don't even have to actually create the... You don't have to take the, the the sort of the wrapper that you would put on 3D, flatten it out, and do the cutting. They do all of that. They do stuff all on of end. that, which I learned how to do that in school, and I'm not very good at it. So it's really great that we've been able to. Is jump that a over hand done process. thing, or is that like a it is photographic process of some? Yeah, kind. completely hand done. Um, they have pattern masters, which is one of my favorite things about China. The workers, once you're at a certain level, you're a master. Unbe- yeah. Yeah, you're but they're the, probably unbelievable. These people that oh, they, they must have been doing it for years and years and years. Yeah. Um, and so they'll bring us 
what they've done. So they'll do a pull, what we call a pullover. And it's so not in the correct materials probably, but just so we can look at the pattern Yeah, and we adjust from there. So the pattern masters are great at giving us, you know, the 3d version, but they don't always, they're not designers. So if we're like, Oh, this angle, we wanted it to be a little bit more this way, or we wanted this finish to be different. Will they pull out an exacto knife and like cut away at their things just to say like, like this. Um, sometimes I do that, which they don't love. Um, They're like, do usually, not touch the work we I just did. They do it. You'd be shocked at how fast they do it. Um, but we will usually put tape over it, and then we just draw on the lines that we want based, like, on top of theirs. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's a lot of masking tape. I mean, is in in in, and we'll get to the design process because I'm fascinated by that. <laughs> Sorry, all these technical no, things, but this is like right. the kind of stuff that I love because it's like the the nuances of a business that I have nothing, no idea about. You know. Yeah. But what uh, is also interesting because we all we all have them. Everybody you know has I mean? to buy shoes, right? Yeah, I, you would imagine that that the shapes that you're creating on a shoe on the side of a shoe, mm-hmm. especially if it's like oh, it's three different colors and they're overlapping, and you know all the things that people do on right. athletic shoes, that there are efficiencies of those shapes because of how tightly they can pack them into a sheet, mm-hmm. so there's less waste and that kind of stuff, right? There, th- yes. that has to be. That's very much part of the process. Um, Probably we always do you have to worry about that. I do. I do. Um, Partially because I'm at a small company. You know, if you're Nike or Adidas, it's fine because you're selling millions of pairs of the same shoe in that one color. Yeah. But we have um, they call them MOQs. So minimum order quantities. And that's on each individual pair of shoe that's ordered and also on each individual material. Yeah. So we get around that a lot by using, instead of having a bunch of material overlays, we'll have one material and then we'll screen print on top of it and we kind of fudge it a little bit. That's a big difference that I see personally, like in what I did versus from the inline product that sold at Nordstrom versus what I was selling at Target. Oh, so there's a big difference in the shoes that are sold at different places. Yeah, definitely. So there are different tiers of distribution and there are different lines for each of them. So you're not a lot. So the of whole time. idea of me buying, if I buy a pair of Converse All-Stars in one store and you buy them at the Converse store, you might get a different thing from a Target versus at the Converse store. Yeah. So we call it like inline versus, you know, mid-tier distribution. Sure. And so, and then mine was an exclusive line for Target. So yeah. also a little bit different, but usually... Stores will have a specific inline collection, so the Nike stores that you get at Nike aren't the same ones you're finding at Kohl's. Interesting, mm-hmm. and and oh, different styles and stuff. Different styles, yeah. And so they'll yeah. usually be takedowns of the ones that you see at the Nike store, but they're going to be a little bit more simplified. They're going to probably have screen prints instead of more materials, things like that. And did d- if you, d- I, I you always hear these horror stories from places like Walmart where, you know, they'll bring in three different companies that make toilet brushes and they'll throw a toilet brush on the table and they say, how cheaply can you do that? And one guy says 10 cents a piece. And the other guy says, I could do it for nine and three quarter cents a piece. And you know what I mean? It's like basically having people outbid each other in person and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Were there ever situations where somebody came to you and said, look, we need to get this down another four cents per pair because whatever. So we need to make these changes. Yeah. Um, every season, three times a season, um, every we go through every single shoe we get back from a sample round and we look at what we need 
our margin to be. And the bill of goods to, to, to make it and all the rest of yep, it. Yep, and how expensive each material was, how much we used, what we're selling it to the customer for. And I've had to strip a lot of designs because of that. And it's always heartbreaking when you're like, but that was the cutest part. And they're like, well, sorry. Yeah, even though the difference is literally pennies on a pair. It's pennies, but if you think about, you know, a shoe that you sell for maybe $45 only costs about 7 or $8 to make. Right. So it's all about margin at that point. So you can take off pennies and that can be, you know, three margin points. And, yeah, that's you know, true. everyone's trying to line in their pockets at some point in the process. So it's yeah. us and it's the department stores. Yeah, yeah. And then like the, the markup from a retailer is what, like double? What are, what are the, you know? Um, yeah, so it's usually more than that. It depends on the good. So I don't know about any other sure, industry, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, and it even depends on the store. So I know Kohl's had larger, needed larger markups than maybe famous footwear. Yeah. So we had to sell to them at a different price or have like a different thing. And I didn't know too much about that. I would just be like, you tell me what we need to get the price down to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, like I said, you're, we're making a shoe for $8 and maybe someone's going to buy it for 12 or 15 and then they're going to sell it for 40 that crazy? Now, now, when you were in, you know, getting out of high school and going to college and looking into industrial design and mm-hmm. wanted to be a shoe designer, was was did you have a a fantasy about like, oh, oh, it's raining on us a little bit? Is that all right? I'm fine with it. Is your mic fine with it? That's fine. Okay, that's a cheap mic. This is a very expensive recorder, but it's luckily hardy as hell. Um, did you worry? Did you think about the sort of those sorts of things, or was it always no. a fantasy of like I'm just going to sit there in front of a thing with airbrushes and and create shoe designs from the side? Yeah, not at all. I didn't even get that far into it. I've loved shoes because you know, as a lot of teenage girls did, and I just like I wanted to make a Cinderella type shoe at some point in my art class, and my sculpture teacher was great in high school. She sort of let me do what I want because. I was going to make it a cool project. And so I like broke, shattered all this mirror and I glued it on the shoe and it was a whole thing. And I was just like, this is so cool. Like this is something that people can wear and use. And then at some point she sat me down and was like, Hey, I know you're looking at doing like engineering and art in college. Like what you're talking about is product design. Yeah. That's what this is. And I was like, Oh, okay. So at the very end of junior year, I uh, switched out all those college applications, which I'm... Did you originally think you were going to go to school for engineering? Yeah. Um, I actually applied to a couple schools for engineering and art, like a dual degree, doing a double major. Did, were you a big math nerd in, in school? Um, I wouldn't say I was a math nerd, but it always came very easy to me. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say I tried particularly hard in high school. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Not my better qualities, but and and so uh, would you say Reebok? You were you end, ended up interning at? Yeah, I interned at Reebok for after my sophomore year of college. Was what, what was that like going in there? Were you intimidated walking in the door the first day? Were you terrified? Oh yeah, shaking in my boots. Um, everyone there's a total fitness junkie. Which as someone who like are they all in athleisure all the time? Yeah, pretty much, which is great for me. That's the great part about the design world is I can wear <laughs> leggings to work. I can wear whatever I want. No one cares. Um, yeah, as long as you're not customer-facing, creatives get really get a pass. Sure, sure. Um, but, yeah, everyone was, like, super in shape and pretty intense. And for performance footwear at that level where they're making it for the CrossFit games, there's so much that goes into it and so much testing that I 
never even heard of before. Really? Yeah. So there, I mean, even giving shoes to people at the office who do CrossFit every day and they're like, use this for a hundred days and then tell us if it's test, good. Test shoes. Yeah. Now shoes like that, I mean, is that more sort of the, even would it even have like sort of cosmetic looking good or would it just be sort of like the base shoe without maybe some layers of-, of For the fl- testing? Yeah. That's going to be a full- production level shoe because if it's not you could have you know if strings are loose they could slide off so they need to make sure it's really peak performance at that point yeah but there are a lot of iterations before that where people are just kind of taking a jog around to see how they feel yeah it's it's such a it's such a weird weird world yeah i mean even if you think about you know, they've got, you got to make all these shoes. Like my problem is my feet are really wide. Mm. <laughs> Molly's looking at my feet now and how yeah. wide and, and hobbit like they are. Are they a D width? Uh, I usually get E. Oh. Which is, well, at least my. You do have hobbit feet. I think my shoes are E. <laughs> they might even be E-E. Is that a thing? Double is E is a thing. Yeah. I bet you do great in New oh, Balance. Screaming. What is she screaming about? Um, I think her brother has a super, super soaker, maybe. Ah, oh, it's good times for us. Um, yeah, anyway, I, so I have a hard time. Like, I can't fit a lot of shoes. Have you, you know, looked into New Balance? They have a great wide width selection. New Balance, yeah. I mean, when it comes to athletic shoes, you can find wider shoes. Yeah. But if you're looking for, I just want, like, walk around normal shoes. Like, mm-hmm. the only shoes that really fit me are Keen. Yeah. Keen you know make I mean? wide shoes. And they have a big toe box. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's the other thing. I have a weird thing where I want to be able to... Like move your toes, do that, you move my toes around and have room. Mm-hmm. If if it's like I'm bumping into stuff all the time, it makes me feel claustrophobic. I'm actually a little bit like that as well, but I have small feet, so I just buy my shoes so a half size has, too big. Oh, is that the trick? That's what I do because I like to kind of wiggle around in there. Yeah, yeah. Do you, does that end up like rubbing though when uh, when you wear shoes like that? I don't seem to have a problem with it, but I don't wear such fancy shoes. I mean, I'm currently wearing Supergas. Okay, and so how, how long have you had those shoes? Because, like, the bottoms even aren't, aren't even really worn. No, I haven't had these very long. I okay. also um, really enjoy a nice bright white pair of shoes, so I frequently rebuy, like, white bands, white super. And there's no way to, to re-whiten them after the fact? I mean, I'm sure I could clean them if I was, you know, a logical person. So you're a crazy person who actually cleans their shoes? No, I'm not. That's why I keep buying new ones. <laughs> Like I don't even think like I don't even think about that. Like other than my fancy shoes that I'll wipe down with saddle soap or, or polish or something oh, like that. I don't even own polish for my shoes. <laughs> that is so far out of my range. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. All right. Can we can we talk uh technique uh, uh technical stuff like Yeah, do we want to go back to the wide shoes? Oh yeah. I can talk about wide shoes. Oh, I, like, I just want to see what how crazy there is this actually gonna land on us or is it going to I did over the just see a lightning strike like right at what is that like two o'clock okay according to this there's rain is it actually going to hit us or is it going to float right over us hold please the clouds look like they're moving pretty fast i think that we're going to it's i my guess is that we might have a little sprinkle but it's mostly going to miss us and it's just floating right past the north because like look at this where we are in the middle Oh, yeah. Look, it's going to skirt right by us. That's nice. A little water never hurt anyone. Yeah, exactly. Um, Wide shoes. Talk to to me about wide shoes. Yeah. uh, So one of the really cool things about Stride Right is that it was like shoes for all kids. And 
there was a certain point where we realized we weren't actually living that mantra when I was there. And we were like, there are kids who wear AFOs, um, which are like a type of foot brace and different things like that. And we were like, we're not catering to these kids. And like you said, you can find a lot of wide shoes in athletics, but like, where's this kid's Easter shoe? Where's his, you know, holiday picture shoe? And so we actually took on a really big initiative to work with families of kids that had AFOs, that had different braces and orthotics to find out what those kids actually needed and so that we could cater to that better. Special lines or just uh, a a run of of wider shoes in certain sizes for certain models? Um, Certain sizes for certain models is where we were starting. Um, Obviously, I can't speak to what they're doing now, but the goal was to make the whole line have some shoe and each tier of distribution. So the other problem is, you know, a lot of kids that have shoe braces, like you grow out of a shoe every six months still, but the shoe's going to be $90, right. which is crazy. So we were working on making shoes that were part of our line and just maybe a wider width or sure. they had different adaptable details. So one of the things that we did was um, for inline, we had straps that you could cut the end off. So if you had a brace or an orthotic in there, you need that extra Velcro, the hook and loop. Sure. But if you don't, then you can just cut it off. You can cut it where you need it to be, which was a really great feature. And that was one of the things parents called out to us. So we surveyed, I think, 1,500 families. Yeah. Um, and then we also had like, you know, you get feedback that you would never even think about, like the heel loop on the back. It yeah. needs to be larger so the parent can pull the shoe on because a lot oh, of these kids. because if it's little, the adult can't grab onto mm-hmm. it. Which is something that we never did before because it um, has something called a tourniquet issue. So a kid can get their finger stuck and twist yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for these kids that need the shoe for the orthotic, a lot of times they can't get their shoe on themselves. So you, in that case, you do need the bigger heel loop for the parent. Fascinating. See, yeah. Like I have a niece who, God, this storm is kind of exciting, and now our our rug is flying up. What a dramatic interview! Is it is it crazy over there? Yeah, storms. The, the other night I was up here with Brad. I think you've met Brad before. Mm-hmm. Oh, we actually are getting. Ready. Oh, nice. Am I worried about this rain? What do you think? Is this going to actually be a thing? I don't know. It looks like it's, like you said, skirting us. But you're the boss here. I think we might get scooched here. Let's just go under here. All right, Molly, we are in part two. Uh, For those listening, (laughs) Molly and I just got sucked into a vortex. Yeah. Literally, a storm came through the roof here. You can hear the wind, probably. A storm came through that was so torrential that we tried to run under an awning. We're in Oz now. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so so yeah, it was so it was so crazy. We had to rip up all of the gear and everything and like run inside the hallway of the roof and basically hunker down in a in in, in a, a tornado shelter for a minute. That was a crazy storm. That was. That was and like, it's so sunny now. Now you were saying though that, that that the storms like that came through Savannah a lot. Yes. Um where you the, went to school. Yes, I did. Now, Savannah how the hell did you get into SCAD? SCAD is a shockingly easy school to get into. Um, little known fact, we have a 50% acceptance rate. Or at least we did is when I Is it a I matter of being able to pay for it? Is it that kind of thing? Um, a little bit yes, a little bit no. They're a relatively new school. So last year was 20 years. So they're Really? They haven't been around that yeah, long? Yeah, they're a little baby school. Um, and so... Part of it is that, and part of it is they know that a lot of art programs get canceled in school, so it's a lot about if you want to 
if you have the drive, if you have the passion, then they're going to give you a chance. So there's actually no portfolio required to get into SCAD. Okay. Um, that being said, we have one of the highest transfer dropout rates because people think they want to do art and they haven't really had experience with it and they realize it might be harder than they think or not for them. And so after freshman year, you definitely weed out people who aren't meant for it. Uh, the school I went to college at is very similar. Where did you go to college, Bill? Uh, Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Oh, yeah. I know. So, like, but you, it's not that hard to get in, but, like, staying there is hard and, and a lot yeah. of people leave. What I'm sure is probably similar about Berkeley College of Music when I talk about art school because, you know, people never really know what it's like. I always say, like, I faked an essay for, like, a book that I didn't read but maybe got a summary on. You can't fake an art project. We're yeah, all going to stand true. there and pin it on the wall and everyone's going to see that you didn't put in the work. It's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and w- once you got to college, because you said, like, I didn't really worry worry about my grades in high school. Okay. I say I didn't worry about my grades, but I was like an A-B student. I wasn't, you know, really right. slacking off. Okay. But when you got mm-hmm. to college, were you kind of all in? Yeah, definitely. Um, part of in high school is I cared a lot about my art classes okay. and certain, you know, teachers that I liked, I cared about their classes, but... In general, if I don't care about something, I tend not to work very hard at it. Yeah, sure. Um, but I loved my classes, and even the ones I didn't really like or professors I didn't like, it always felt like I was going towards a goal, which for me, I'm very goal-oriented, and so that always helped, and I pushed a lot. And, I mean, you know, some grades are good, some grades aren't. It's hard when art's, like, very subjective, Yep. Um, which is something I struggle with on occasion. But, yeah, always put in 110%. Yeah. Yeah, I I was the same way. Like once I got to music school, my grades like I, I had a crazy GPA because I basically just got A's and everything because I actually cared and did yeah. the work. Like it wasn't work; it was just what I was doing. Yeah, definitely. I'd say the classes I actually I know the classes I did worst in were like my liberal arts classes, and I was like, eh, they don't. Did it feel that way when you were uh 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 um uh how, how was I going to put this? Did it feel that way when you got to your job that your job felt like it wasn't really work? Um, yes and no. I mean, I think I definitely enjoyed what I did. You know, you don't enjoy a costing meeting when you're stripping down the shoes for pennies, but I enjoyed the process. Um, and I think that's like a very big thing for me is like holistically, like I loved what I did and I loved seeing a shoe go from a sketch all the way into production. That's really fulfilling to me. Yeah. So even when there were times when I was like, this sucks. Like, I don't want to do it. It always is very much about an end goal. Yeah. 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 Did, I mean, in those situations, in those meetings, when you had to, when you were sitting there and they're kind of not necessarily ripping your work apart on aesthetic grounds, yeah. but, but need to rip it apart on monetary on economic grounds. Did it feel like they were, atta- or do you own your work to the sense that we're, when they're attacking the shoe, it feels like they're attacking mm-hmm. you? I, I can't don't. dissociate, so people who can, it amazes me. I can, and I think I got good at that in school because it's never really personal if, you know, something isn't exactly where someone wanted it to be. It's not really a big deal for me personally because I've learned to just kind of be like, all right, they're not talking about my personality, who I am. It's just about the sketch, and it's something I struggled with a lot when I first started working at my job because it would be like – there's nothing wrong with the sketch. It's just not exactly what we were looking for. And I'm like, that doesn't help me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, what do you do with that? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I want something that's not this. Well, what do you want it to be? I don't know. 
Yeah, exactly. And you're like, that gives me no structure. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. you know, a year out of college. I don't know what you want from I, me. I, I, I was an art director in advertising for years. So like, it's the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, we want it to be like this. It's like, well, what does that even mean? You, that is a word that is meaningless. Yeah. So, um, I got into like this fun habit game that I used to play where if my boss like didn't like a bunch of my sketches I would find like an old sketch of hers that I had like in my computer and I'd re-sketch it and see what she said she frequently did not like her own sketches see and therein lies the problem right because then you wonder whether anybody you know actually has taste or whether they're just cranky Mm -hmm. and then you're like maybe you just like it when you do it like yeah 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 um but you know, there are certain things, and I will say that, like, my boss was great. She was like, you need to look at flow. And if I was like, really having a hard time, she'd be like, here, I've gotten this, like, board that I made with a bunch of pictures. Look at these. Use that as your inspiration. Yeah. And that's always helpful when you have, like, a visual. But when someone's just like, we want this outsole to be athletic but casual. It needs to be low duty and just different and fun. And you're like, yeah, what? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's the different and fun that always gets me that stuff. Yeah. That is meaningless. Like, I have no idea what that means. But also, like, needs to be cheap to make and one color. And you're like, huh? Yeah. 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 It needs to be, it needs to fit in with everything else, but could be completely different. Yes. And you're like, no, that, yeah. Um, (laughs) How many did they expect you to do? What is the output? What is it? Like, one a week, one a day? Um, So it's not so clean cut as that because you design on a cycle. Six designs for this season kind of thing. Way more than six times for the season. Give me a number. So usually we'll have, you know, one to three new outsoles per season, depending on what we need. So we try not to let outsoles live more than three years. Yeah. um, Unless it's a classic one because they just, that tooling is way more expensive to open. It's not like an upper pattern. Okay. So those live longer. Oh, interesting. So your, so your, your uppers you're designing are based upon... Outsoles that have that might be around for two or three years. Yeah, definitely. So, and the, does anybody ever go back and say, "Remember that outsole from 05? We still have the patterns. Let's bring that one back because that really worked." Yeah, occasionally we do more with outsoles than we do with uppers because uppers you'll just resketch and find like an old tech pack, which we do on occasion. I'm sorry, tech pack. A tech pack is. Um, has all the specs of the shoe, so the materials, the pattern, the last with, with material number. samples. samples? So we have them digitally. The developers would resource the materials, but we would have all the material information on there. So, so it's like what a one sheet sort of, it's like a baseball card of an old shoe kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, pretty much. And so that's what we send to the, over to our developers in China every season and they construct the shoes based on those. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So occasionally we'll pull an old tech pack and we'll find a design, but more frequently than that, we'll be like, oh, do you remember that sandal outsole we had? Like we need a new sandal, but we can't afford new tooling. So let's just bring, we'll bring that back from the dead. Yeah. And w- like the tooling and like the patterns and, and, and all that kind of stuff, when a shoe has been created and done and like it's no longer current. Mm-hmm. Does that get held in China at your manufacturers? Do you guys get all that stuff back? So there's a there's a banker's box somewhere with like, you know, the the actual print cut mm-hmm. machine patterns or something. You know what I mean? How does that work? Do yeah, you know? so it depends on the factory and the company. Some factories own their some companies own their own factories. So I'm sure I mean, I don't know, but I feel like Nike probably owns their own factories and so they own everything in it. Yep. We work with factories and we buy space in them. So we usually will own our own tooling, which is because these these factories are 
bigger capacity than you could ever fill. Yeah. Being like a mid-sized company. Yeah. Being a small company, we're never going to fill up capacity. So even companies that are a little bit bigger. So we also, my company had the license to do the design for Oshkosh and Carter shoes, which are pretty big, but even they wouldn't fill an entire factory for all the time. It's also interesting though, that most people don't think about the fact that you could have shoes from six different companies being made at a single factory. Like they're all made oh, yeah. at the same level of quality, but there could be a three X difference in price. Well, that's how you get the black market. Okay. Well, how, okay. So explain that to me. How does this work? So the black market in China is amazing. I love it. <laughs> Big fan. Um, and it's essentially workers from factories that make luxury goods, high end product, really anything that people would want a knockoff version of so a lot of sneakers they'll usually steal um a pattern or like the tooling or the blueprint for the tooling and they'll sell it on the black market and usually they'll sell it to like black market factories and they'll get an entire year worth of pay for one pattern for like something lucrative and so i mean that's a lot of money for wanting to do that yeah I always think about the luxury brands and you were interested in accessories and stuff back Mm -hmm. in the day. I can understand a certain, say, leather handbag costing thousands of dollars if it's literally handmade and cut and whatever it is. Oh, Hermes does that. There's a great documentary on it. But, but, you know, and probably only certain lines of Hermes stuff is Mm -hmm. at that level because all of these luxury companies have diversified to the point where they're basically selling the brand as a thing, not as the reality, right? So you may be buying a coach bag and there are high-end coach bags and then there are cheap-ass coach bags. Yeah. And people, dumb Americans, are buying the brand and not the quality of the product. Mm -hmm. Where do you come down on all that? And what do you think the answer is to, or is it just buyer beware? Um, I think it's partially buyer beware. How's the average person supposed to know what are good materials and what is good modeling there's a a squirrel oh he looks very wet yes he's not happy (laughs) um i think a lot of times price is going to dictate how nice the materials are yeah a lot of times people aren't trying to screw you over inherently so obviously like on a more expensive good the product margin is going to be way higher I'm definitely of the mindset of buy something a little bit nicer. You won't have to get another one for X amount of years, Um, which is how I feel about a lot of like leather goods and things like that. And it's tough because people want to be on trend and they want to, you know, that's why you have fast fashion. And it's hard to convince someone to save up three paychecks and buy something a little bit nicer than get the immediate satisfaction of something cheaper. It's it's. It is also, I mean, one of the advantages of being a man is that men's fashion doesn't move quite as quickly as women's mm-hmm. fashion. Like, if you're yeah. not looking to be a 20-year-old model guy, yeah, you can have nice clothes from three years ago and they still look nice today. For sure. Where women notice things more if they're into that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. My wife yeah. doesn't care. You know what I mean? She looks amazing. Well, she does. <laughs> and she can, she can wear anything and she looks good. And yeah. there are times when I would say to her, you know, why don't you get that nice dress and wear the nice dress? Cause like you actually have the looks and body to wear the nice dress mm-hmm. where a lot of people can't, Yeah, you know, but a lot of people don't look good in certain things. You yeah, know? for sure. Um, 
And she never, she never does. She, she, <laughs> she thinks I'm. She never wants a nice thing. She, well, yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting. My father, you know, there was the, is it Terry Pratchett? My father always used to say, "Buy the best, you'll never be sorry." Right. Mm-hmm. But then he would buy ten dollars sneakers at Kmart. My dad loves Costco jeans. See, there you go. And I'm like, for the man who will like buy a sh- custom embroidered shirt with those initials, like, why are you getting your jeans at Costco? Yeah. But at the same time, you don't have to buy $600 jeans. Yeah. You could just buy, you know, $140, you know, the high-end Levi's or whatever it is that are going to be good quality selvage mm-hmm. denim and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I think usually, obviously there's a range on everything. And, like, the high, high-end is going to be extreme. The $250 black T-shirts. Yeah, that there's no need for that. Ooh, mosquito. Um I think if you're at a high-end store, even if you're buying a low price point, you're going to get good quality. Okay. So if you're at like a Nordstrom or a Bloomingdale's, the product's going to be good because the company has a standard. Yeah. Once you go to like Nordstrom Rack and you're like a little off market, then you got to check a little bit better. It's got, it's, it's so difficult from mm-hmm. the, if, if you're not somebody who cares enough to know. Right. It's so difficult to tell. Yeah. It's, you know? it's tough. I remember I had a, I don't have it on me. I had, I have this wallet from this company, this like, they're like some Texas leather kind of handmade American. Is this saddlebag leather? Yes. They're great. Yeah. I have this sort of like uh, card holder wallet mm-hmm. thing from them. And my brother-in-law got it for me for Christmas a few years ago. They have and, a lifetime guarantee. No, a hundred year guarantee. Yeah. So, uh. The stitching was coming out and the leather was like cutting in certain little oh. places. This is after five years of me overstuffing it and having it in my pocket. Well, right? you're supposed to get a hundred years out of it. Well, so I, I literally, I, it, it may be seven years say, right. Mm-hmm. And I beat on things like my wallet. Like I put too much stuff in them and whatever. Yeah. And so I wrote them, sent a picture and I emailed them and I said, listen, you know, I'm, perfectly fine. I've gotten seven years of good use out of this. It costs a hundred dollars. Like I'm perfectly happy buying another one, but But you say you have this guarantee, like, yeah, like, you know, and the guy said that the, the leather, the damage that happened to the leather was basically on me. Cause it like, that was not like a manufacturing thing. It's just that like I ripped the door. Something got ripped. Something split it. He's like, but the stitching totally is. He's just like, I'm going to, he's like, I'm going to send you uh, an envelope Send it back mm-hmm. to us and we'll send you a new one. And they yeah. did. And it's like, there's so few companies like that anymore. Yeah. Because some people are assholes and overuse it. The yellow bean problem, right? Right. Right. Oh, I've had this backpack for 30 years and I've pooped on it and I've, you know, <laughs> drug it through mud and I buried it under salt peat for yeah. 15 years, you know. And you're like, dude, you got mm-hmm. your use out of that. The like, fact that it broke is not their fault. That's Yeah. If you use it camping every weekend for 20 years, it's going to, there's going to be wear and tear. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Leather is a bit different because like they said, they can tell whether it was something that was the product or something that, you know, something split the leather because there are only certain natural properties that it's going to have. LLB and was a little bold with their statement, I think. I think they, re- or they realized that. They yeah. reined it in a bit, but. Uh, materials, leather versus yes. synthetics versus, you know, cotton and that kind of stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, are you, are you pro leather? I am pro leather. Um, I think 
there's a sustainable way to do it. I also yeah. think leather can be a sustainable product because it lasts so long. Whereas sure. if you get a, um, so polyurethane is PU, yeah. which is what people will call fake leather material or pleather. Like, yeah. Pleather. Um, it's going to rip. There's no good quality PU and people will lie to you until they're like, there are better, yeah, there are, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's never going to be good and it's going to rip and you're going to have to get a new leather jacket or whatever it is in three years. Cause it's going to peel. It's just a coating. There, there was a, there was, you know, old ads on TV probably before you were born. This a genuine imitation leather. Yeah. <laughs> they love that. <laughs> the other one that I love is they'll be like, it's vegan leather. And you're like, it's plastic. Yeah, like, exactly. Vegan leather's I mean, not and, real. And to some extent, I mean, if people continue to eat beef, there's a whole lot of cat, like mm-hmm. cow hide that is yeah, going to na- be used for something. I mean, Native Americans live super sustainably because they used every single part of every animal that they yeah. needed. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, at a certain high end, you get into the crazy like minks and, and oh, rabbit yeah. and all that kind of stuff, which is just like, okay, that's just a waste of time. I don't know how I feel about fur, but... That's maybe another discussion. Alligator? It is really pretty, I will <laughs> say. I don't own anything alligator, but I don't also have the money to own anything alligator. <laughs> <laughs> the look on your face is really funny. She's like, maybe someday I'll have alligator. Maybe. Um, when you're drawing, is it uh, uh, on paper or is it all computer now? Paper. So we start on paper and then we transfer. Um you're always going to be quicker drawing something out, a quick sketch on paper. And if you need to refine in the computer, fine. But no one has a Cintiq and, and is drawing in Photoshop from day from step one. Not really. I mean, we have Cintiqs um, or we had the Wacom tablets, not yeah. the Cintiq computers. But I've always been a little bit faster. And so what we actually do is. I will take a picture of an, an old shoe that we designed, whatever, like if it's an athletic or whatever I need it to be. And I'll put it down in Photoshop to like 5% opacity. So it's really light. And then I'll put in full opacity, whatever outsole I need on it. So I don't draw the outsole every time. I just draw the upper so and there, I trace there's the these proportions. outsole templates that you're working on. Yeah. So after we've designed the outsoles, cause you always do that before you start the uppers. So that you have the correct like size and dimensions of the shoe and you can really look at it. Um, and then once those go into CAD, we'll just put them on a piece of paper and we'll print them out. So we essentially have the outline of a shoe. Is that AutoCAD? Is that what you guys use for everything? Um, Adobe Illustrator. Illustrator for stuff yeah. like that. Okay. <laughs> He's back. Hello, Aww. squirrel. I don't know what you think you're going to get from us. Got nothing for you. Uh that, that's an interesting question. What size shoe do you guys design on as mm-hmm. somebody who has size 11 feet? Not your foot. Not my foot. No. You're designing for a size eight men's or whatever, nine men's, something like that. Um, the typical industry standard is a nine men. Some companies will do eight. Women's is usually a seven, but occasionally those companies will do a six, just depending on who they are. So that's why people with those size feet, their shoes are always going to look better because on me, they are you're the, always stretching things out to get it to right. work. Yours are being scaled up. So they they say like size seven is like Cinderella foot. That is like slipper fits. Now, if you're scaling up, I mean, you're not, it's not scaling every dimension equally. Right. Which is the problem because mm-hmm. then things look weird. Yeah. And we do keep that in mind when we design, especially in kids, because the size range I was designing for would be, we split it up into sections. So you have the like zero to three shoes, which are essentially just foot coverings for babies. Yep. And then you have 
the first walking shoes, which usually have rounded outsoles, and those go from size Um, Rounded out, what does that mean? Rounded outsoles is just, um, they don't look like mini me shoes or like adult shoes, really. They're just meant for like kids who are learning to walk. Okay. Um, so like rounded outsoles, it makes it a little easier to balance. I You're mean, not they, they're so curved. They're like yeah, they like literally have rounded edges. around the edge. Yeah. yeah. Um, those go up to a size five and then usually like four to 13 or like five to 13 is that next size range. Children's, children's children. sizes. Children. So that's, uh, that's still that's a toddler huge shoes. range of sizes. Right. So you, we design at a size seven. Um, which is the mid range and the ones that are smaller always look cuter, but we also have to keep in mind what it's going to look like at a size 13, even though we don't see it. So, you know, I would never do like maybe a triple Velcro shoe like that because I know when it's scaled up, like woof, no one's going to want to wear that. It's going to look crazy. And the scaling happens in China or do you guys? Yeah, we don't touch that process. We do get extreme fits, what we call them. Um, which will be the top and bottom of a size range to check them on Show me worst case scenarios. Yeah. And that's also for fit testing because when they scale, we need to make sure that we still don't have any fit issues of it rubbing someone in the wrong spot, causing any blisters, things like that. You guys ever have, is it all American shoes? Um, I mean, do you have to European size and that kind of stuff as well? Our shoes were sold somewhat internationally and also in Canada. Um, Canada was the bigger issue because you need everything in French as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So not on the tags, but like anything on the box or like tags on the shoe, like that were hanging off the shoe would need to be in French. But I believe the standard is to have like US, UK and like something else on the shoe. I mean, the Europeans have much, it's, it's almost a much, it's a more precise. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Which is funny because Fahrenheit is more specific than Celsius. Well, yeah, for at least in the area that we live in, yes. But yeah, you know, yeah <laughs> totally. No, that's the, yeah, that's true. I and uh, Velcro versus laces. Where do you come down? Um, laces, if you can use them, but a lot of kids can't. So we always had hook and loop for. I mean, if you can't tie your shoes, why have laces? The thing is, is that aesthetics aside. Velcro does make sense. Yeah, Velcro's easy, but Velcro's not as strong. So okay. if you're really and there's like, and there's different there's different grades of hook and loop, right? Yeah. So there's regular hook and loop, and then there's high grade hook and loop. Those right. are the two. Which is okay. Really, there's only like two things. Yeah. And is the is it actually harder to pull off, or is it just will last longer? What is the? Um, it's yeah, it's harder to pull off. I it adheres to itself better, I guess. Um. There are Probably just more hooks and loops. Yeah. And you know, normally on hook and loop, the hook or the loops are kind of like soft and fuzzy. Yep. So on high grade, they're not soft and fuzzy like that. So it sticks a lot better together. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Almost more like uh, bristle blocks. Did you ever have those yeah. as a kid? Or sort just of like, like these that. straight things that are kind of yeah, coated to like, each other. It doesn't seem like it should work, but it does. Um, that's usually what you'll see on adult shoes. They don't usually have the low-grade stuff because it just wouldn't hold an adult foot in. There's too much um, force. Yeah. I, 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 years ago, like I was in high school, This is we're talking 1991 right now. I wasn't born yet. Yeah, you weren't born yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I'm so old. <laughs> What year were you born? Ninety-five. Oh my god, I was I was in college when you were born. I'm gonna be twenty-five this year. It's oh my god, you're mentally a baby. trying. Uh, but but I remember I worked at this like old age old people's home thing, doing serving dinner to them in their like mm-hmm. little restaurant in high school. What a mensch. 
Well, I got paid good money. Oh, okay. Back then it was like oh. ten fifty an hour, ten seventy five an hour. That's which still good money. That's above ten seventy five an hour in nineteen ninety one was like when your friends were working at McDonald's for five six bucks an hour was. I good didn't money. make ten seventy five an hour at some of my jobs in college. And uh, so I was working at this place, and there was like this old guy who came in one day with like new. Uh, shoes at new velcro shoes and i remember this like cool guy waiter that i used to work with he's like hey mr Katz, nice steps <laughs> nice steps <laughs> and I, re- I remember i still remember him saying that and mr Katz was like oh thank you you know um the <laughs> it is funny the stuff that you remember right this yeah. moment in time from 30 years ago and i can see it like it's yesterday what a good line too i want to start let's bring that back steps nice steps yeah right Stems for for legs. Those are good, too. Oh, that is good. Yeah. Yeah. She's got stems that go all the way to the floor. <laughs> like, Where like, else yeah, would they go? <laughs> we, wa- we watched um, uh, uh, Singing in the Rain last night. Oh, great movie. Man, Gene Kelly can dance. Mm-hmm. Um, so wait, I was I was going somewhere, and now I lost my train of thought. Okay. Velcro, leather, Fresh drawing. Steps. How are you? At, at, if I just gave you a piece of paper, could you sketch me, or are you just good at inanimate objects? I mean, I could. It wouldn't be probably complimentary. Did you did you doodle when you were a kid? Yeah, I did. Um, I think more than drawing, I always kind of was. I've definitely done better in the third dimension. So a lot of blocks, making little mosaics with tiles, like making things fit in a certain way. For me, a lot of it design is about problem solving. (laughs) I am really good at Jenga. I actually just got it the other day. Um, Yeah, it's more about solving a problem is what intrigues me more about design than the aesthetic. I mean, it's important and I love that part, but I like the idea of solving a problem. You must have had coworkers who see all of this very differently, though. Yeah. Some who are purely aesthetic, some who are purely technical, mm-hmm. and trying to find the balance between those things. Yeah, and I think I had a... I started more on the technical side because I was at Reebok and performance footwear, so it matters a lot more there than in kids, where, you know, some people... My boss actually does not come from a design... She did not come from a design background. She had a degree in economics, and... um I believe, and French, maybe. She was a double major. And she just, like, enjoyed drawing shoes. Completely aesthetic. Um, because she only ever worked the company I was at, and they took a chance on her as an intern. And she was a senior designer by the time I got there eight years later. Really? So she had to learn everything from the ground up. She didn't know anything about, you know, designing shoes except for drawing on a piece of paper. Whereas I, like, could tell you each individual part of it, how to pattern it, how to make it, like, the whole nine yards. And she just wasn't interested in all of that? She was once she got into it, but, I mean, she came in from a strictly aesthetic point of view, and I think that she still leans towards that. It seems like, you know, the the original Reebok tennis shoe with the Mm -hmm. little Reebok sort of uh, embossed, you know what I mean? The label's, like, underneath the leather Mm -hmm. edge, you know, in the side of it. Like, whatever, from 84, 80. yeah. Yeah, right? I, first of all, I remember when those came out because I was your work- classic. I was, you know, I used to for, for <laughs> a couple of years. I was a court attendant at a Volvo International tennis tournament up in Vermont Ooh. that they used to do. It was like a like a run up to the to the U.S. Open. OK. And so, like, I gave Andre Agassi orange juice before and towels. Wow. Yeah. Was he nice? 
Uh, yeah, he was very nice. Yeah, a lot of them are are very. Makes me you know, happy. as long as you're stay out of their way, you know what yeah. I mean. If they're doing poorly and they're cranky, like, I'd like to be a ball girl, but I would get too nervous. Yeah, that's a whole other. That's a whole other. Yeah. In fact, I just found the the picture of us. Anyway, that was when those shoes came out. Like mm-hmm. I remember it, and those those have come back in the last couple of years. Yeah, they either, either they never stopped making them and they become cool again, or someone at the at Reebok said mm-hmm. it's about time to pull up, like to loop back around again. Yeah. So. Once the chunky dad shoes started to make a comeback, people started making more built-up outsoles and more built-up patterns because we went through a super minimalist phase for a while um, and everything, really. And they say the design cycle is about every 30 years, um, sort of just general trends. So you're even starting to see a lot of, like, clothing trends from the 90s come back. Yeah. Yeah, Um, which I don't get Like when we look back at those pictures, it wasn't flattering. 90s was not a good time. Yeah. So I don't know why that's happening, but it is. Um, But the chunky shoe, they've revamped in a little bit to just make it a bit cleaner. But a lot of those styles, like people never stop making. They'll just sort of tweak the design every couple seasons to. Like that basic gray New Balance shoe that the the Mm -hmm. 900s or whatever that they'll they'll always make. They'll always make. And. I always see, but that's one of the things I always liked about, say, New Balance mm-hmm. is that they're not changing their shoe every five minutes. They are. The ones- it's maybe not the ones you're looking at. Okay, yeah, yeah. But I mean, if you like that one classic one, you'll know you'll be able to get it. Yeah. Where so often I'll get a pair of running shoes or whatever it is, and six months or a year or two years later when I want to get a new pair, mm-hmm. it's like, well, we don't make those anymore. We don't make anything like that anymore. Yeah. And none of the new ones fit me like the old ones did. A lot of times the brands that have been around longer will have their classics that they always have. So Reebok's always going to make their Club C85. They're never going to stop making it. That yeah. It's on their sort of docket. Newer companies like Nike, they're going to cycle through things pretty quickly. And they have a couple that they'll keep around like the Hirachis and the Aztecs because they're kind of core. But Nike hasn't been around that long. So they don't have like really old classics. like. Right, yeah, they didn't even start designing their own shoes until much later, though. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So you're not going to see a lot of those brands. They're going to whip through things pretty fast because they don't have that yeah. core. And like, and it's funny because like, like the sneakerhead thing we were talking about earlier, Nike will make a whole bunch of shoes that they only make 50 mm-hmm. pairs of or whatever, or 200 pairs of or whatever. Yeah. Like that's a whole sub-brand, but it's almost like that's almost like creating the 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 halo car right we're gonna make right. the crazy high end Shelby Mustang that only fifty people are gonna buy but, but just then so we're gonna we make a, that- then we're gonna make a version for you it's not gonna be the same but it's gonna be similar and it's gonna be less money yeah I don't know I it's funny because I see shoes as a practical thing not as a fashion thing I mean I want them to look passable right but I, I I'm not wearing shoes for fashion's sake yeah I mean it's definitely a different thing like you have your you know, your saddlebag wallet that's going to last you seven years. There's some people who are like, oh, my wallet needs to match my purse and I need 17 of them. See, from a a sustainability point of view, though, that's what I feel like that's what's wrong with the West. And now with China and with with the middle class and the rest of it, right? China's even worse than we are when it comes Mm -hmm. to labels and shit. You know, if it doesn't have some expensive label on it and I can't show that I'm rich by showing what bag I'm carrying. Do you know the brand Stussy? Yes. So they did a collab with like I love your seltzer water with like seltzer water in China really yeah it was Watson seltzer and I was like no one asked for this we don't need that collab 
We but, just want our seltzer water. Yeah. But in China, maybe it was a thing. Yeah. I, I, but I, I, as somebody who I want to leave the world better than I found it, mm-hmm. sort of one of my like core goals, buying a bunch of crap that's just going to end up in a landfill is not on my list. Yeah. I'm trying, I yeah. try to avoid that when possible. You but know? I think you have probably, you don't get fulfillment of someone being like, oh, you're on trend and you look like whatever. What is that fulfillment though? I don't understand. Like I mentally really don't understand that. Mm, I think it's like a, it's a sort of knowledge that you can flaunt in a way. So you can, your knowledge of fashion and what's happening. And I don't really get fulfillment that way. So it's hard for me to To, uh, really understand it. But You know, it's like when you like looking nice and put together for an event, people walk around every day like that's the event. It's just, I, I just, I just think sometimes I think about myself on my deathbed and I th- I'll <laughs> think about like the things that I care about and the things that I would, you know, be happy that I spent my time doing and the things mm-hmm. that I would say, wow, that was a giant waste of time. Yeah. The idea of spending a lot of money and time so that people I don't even know look at me and say, Ooh, that guy's wearing a really nice pair of shoes or a really nice jacket. Yeah. It seems really, sh- it seems, it seems like such a, f- it's like, it's, it has nothing to do with leading. It's entirely to do with following. Right. But I think that's very much what's sort of the world and social media and how many likes did you get on a picture and sure. who thought this of what and, <sighs> you know, the whole thing. You you're an influencer? I'm not. But if someone would like to pay me to influence, <laughs> I'm going to put it out there right now. I'm happy to do it. What, what, uh, so, so what's the what's the plan for the future? Right now, you're you're moving to California. I am. You got to get a new job in this business. In a business. Um, how, so, I mean, how does it work finding positions? Is is New York a hub of of mm-hmm. shoewear design, footwear design? Yeah. So there are a couple of hubs for footwear. I would say New York, LA, and Boston are the big ones. And yeah. then not Portland because isn't Portland like a because Nike and Portland has Nike and Adidas. Um, that's they do kind of everything up there. Those are their headquarters. Um, but they are also the only two companies that are there really. Yeah. So Columbia Outerwear is there too, but I think but like. Mm-hmm. But that's less. But you. the Columbia Outerwear is there. They own a couple brands, and not all the brands are headquartered there. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. And like Decker's is in Santa Barbara, and they do like uh, the Hoka Hoka ones. Um, yeah. Yeah. Actually, the reason that Boston is a hub, if I'm going to go on a tangent here, is because there used to be a rubber factory there, and the closer you were to the rubber factory, the less you had to pay for shipment to make the shoes. Oh, interesting. Because mm-hmm. uh, what's it called? Uh, Alden shoes are still up near Boston, too. Like, high-end mm-hmm. men's shoes are still up there. Reebok is up there. Um, yeah, New, New Balance. Balance. Uh-huh. They, we used to, I used to go by the New Balance uh, uh, factory store all yeah. the time. Uh, Noble, which is a new CrossFit brand. Um, so that's just some weird leftover thing, even though yeah. none of that stuff is made there anymore. But they were just always headquartered there. So now they just kind of, they're still there. Isn't that funny? Like the inertia of, of, of doing right? things like that. When you find out, cause I asked, oh, Converse is there too, which is now owned by Nike, but still in Boston. Nike bought Converse. Yeah. They own um, Converse and Hurley. So when, when a company like Nike goes in and buys another big brand like Converse mm-hmm. that has you know, arguably like the classic athletic shoes of all mm-hmm. time. And they go in, if, if you were working there and they said, all right, we got to cheapen up these, these classic shoes. Would you just be like, just leave them alone. Just, just 
keep making them the way you were going to make them. Yeah. Don't mess with something. It's like, that's almost like a historical legacy. Just don't right. mess with it. So I think a lot of times what they'll do, which um, a decent amount of companies will do this, is Nike's got a lot of leverage with the factories. So just by being at a Nike factory, you're already going to lower your prices. Yeah. Um, but also, I know there are some shoes, I don't know about Converse, but they'll keep the core classic, so maybe like the high tops at uh, the factory they've always been made at, and then the newer things will switch to a cheaper factory. Uh, yeah, yeah. I know because I, I used to, I was a Doc Martin fan back in the mm, day. Yeah, Docs, like they only have some good. of them that are made in Yeah, London? in England. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, there's only two. It's like mm-hmm. the, the boots and like the 3i or 4i yeah. regular low shoes, and they're the like vintage edition or whatever it is right. that are still made because the new ones, they don't last. Right. The vintage ones still, so I bought a pair actually, the vintage ones a couple of years ago because I needed some like sort of walk around halfway decent looking mm-hmm. shoes with jeans. And, and they'll last forever. Yeah, they last for a fairly long time, but the soles on docks are not, uh, you can't resole them. Yeah. Because the way they do their, la- the, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the things. The way that they stitch it, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's just, this kind of stuff's just, see, Talking to somebody, a nerd like you is amazing. Yeah, especially when, like, the welting details that Doc has. Yeah, and you, you ever watch, their, there's a factory video of them making Ooh, Docs, and they cut around the edge of the welt mm-hmm. with, like, you know, this crazy, like, hot, red-hot cutter yeah. thing. It's an amazing process. We had one at school. Oh, I really? accidentally burned a pair of sweatpants with it. <laughs> Someone forgot to put the lid back, like, the case back on it that covers yeah. it, and I was like, Flowing through and was like, oh. <laughs> so are you, so in, in your time off, are you going to design shoes for fun for your portfolio? Um, I'm going to try to. I think what I want to do is now push my shoe designs into more of adult. Sure. Um, even if it's just, you know, sketching shoes that are already out in the world to show Still that. casual and athletic, you think? Yeah, I really enjoy casual and athletic. I think dress shoes tend to be more classic and it tends to be tweaks on designs rather than new designs. Yeah. Um, and as a not super fashion forward person yeah. um, chasing trends, that has less interest to me. And I feel like a lot of the high end, at least women's shoes are more European than American. Is that true or not true? I think for dress shoes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That tends to be true. Yeah. But a lot, I mean, a lot of those for high end women's dress shoes, they are based in Europe as well. So a lot of them are in Italy or London. Yeah. So you may have to move to London or Italy. That would be glamorous. <laughs> Not be mad about that, but you're heading to California where it's warm and there's a coronavirus surge. So yeah, it's gonna be great. I just got my test back though. Negative corona, negative antibodies. Oh, so you're 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 a virgin. Yeah, you're a corona virgin. Which I really was convinced I had it after being in China in December. Yeah, do you you thought you were uh, patient zero? Patient zero. I was really worried about it, but my mom talked me off the ledge on that one. Were you were you actually having panic attacks for a while? Yeah. I was. I was really scared because I was really sick when I came back. I was like sick on the airplane and I was like, oh my God, it was me. I brought it. And I was like, I'm the reason there's a global pandemic. My mom was like, how many people are on that plane with you? Like, that's just not true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also wasn't in Wuhan. Did you, did you uh, were you coughing? Um, yeah. I just had like a sinus thing. It was fine. Yeah. Did you like the food over there? The food's really good the first week and a half I'm there. And then I really just want American food again. Then you're like, can you just give me a hamburger? Yeah. The other thing that's funny about China is, I mean, I really enjoy like true Chinese food. But when you go to restaurants, they think that the oil makes the food more beautiful. Yeah. So they really just. Douse it. Yeah. And it's very shiny. 
Um, so very, very beautiful. I Even when I go to Europe and I'm having quote unquote good food, and again, I'm not a giant foodie. I don't like to spend a lot of money. Like mm-hmm. I want to get like really good local food. That's like what yeah. normal people eat, you know? So if it's a prosciutto sandwich with such, you know with what I mean? Like pineapple and pepper. Hey, that's in Savannah. Uh, I'm fine with that. Like I don't need to go to the fancy restaurant and spend 150 right. bills. Um, but, but usually about a week and a half into like a two week trip to Europe, mm-hmm. I'm just like, can I just go to McDonald's just to have some French fries for a minute? The McDonald's in China is actually amazing. I'm a huge fan. Um, they have yep. a spicy chicken sandwich. Yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, really just See? chef's kiss. See? Sometimes you just need a little taste of America. You really do. Well, the other thing that's weird about China that you don't see in a lot of countries because, you know, it's China, is that they don't really have, like, Italian restaurants or, you know, like, like you're eating Chinese food and you're also eating very specific to what province you're in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's, like, you know, the a lot of times I make them take me to the mall to get food because that's, like, better. But, um... There's like one Hong Kong restaurant, one Thai restaurant, and aside from that, like if I'm in Putian, I'm eating Putinese food. Yeah. Which gets old. I don't if even you're not like Putinese. I don't know how it doesn't get old even if you are Putinese. If I had to eat like even pasta every day for dinner, I'd get sick of it. Yeah, I, I, I there's one thing that we have in New York especially where you can get you know, mm-hmm. if you, you and I want really good Chinese or Indian or Italian or, or like, Greek or whatever. Or even like Northern Ethiopian. Yeah, like get as can, specific as you want. We could get it. Yeah. Within a mile of here. Mm-hmm. And it would be pretty darn good on the scale. Yeah. No matter where you get it. I'm like pretty upset about leaving that. I was like the only two foods that are better in California Avocados. are sushi and Mexican. Oh, yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Everything else is worse. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No pizza. No, no. good pizza. It's okay, pizza. Wait, where in, where in California? I'm going to be in San Diego. They have good fish tacos. Oh, they have great fish tacos. See, Mexican. Mexican's great there. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you're going to have some sunshine. I know. The ocean. I'm really excited about the ocean. I'll be close to my dad and my grandpa, my homeboys. You have homeboys? Your dad and your grandpa are your homeboys? Yeah, they're my homeboys. <laughs> They've agreed to it. We're starting again. Wait, do you have any siblings? I do. I have an older brother who. What's he do? He actually is the wholesale manager for men's, men's just general accessories and apparel for Fendi. Oh, so your family's like just all in the apparel world. Yeah, consumer goods. My dad um, has always worked in consumer goods since he graduated business school. So we are, my cousin keeps telling us like we could start a business, I'll do the design, Max will sell, my dad will run the company. It's not a bad idea, actually. Has anybody actually considered that seriously? No. <laughs> My cousin has. I think I think you guys should, you should consider that. Yeah, I was like, Dad, like you have a company that, like you know, you're the CEO. You want to give your girl a job, and he was like, Two more years. Like, Thanks. <laughs> Do you have uh, any social media or anything like that that people should follow? Um, if you like baking, you can follow my Instagram at oh. Molly Megerman. Um, I have great baking Instagram stories. Really. Yeah, have you do I follow you on Instagram? Them? I don't know. Do you? I don't watch stories. Oh, mine are that's, all baking. That's for that's for like younger people, right? Stories. I guess I just feel like if I post a million pictures of like pies and stuff, people get bored. So I just put on my story. But I do like a process thing. They're pretty fun. I use little like emojis. Oh, okay. See, yeah, uh, you got okay. We're gonna teach me how to use 
Plus, I told you I want. I'm terrible with Instagram. Stories. I want KitchenAid USA to sponsor me. That's like my dream. Um, so I always tag them, and I do. You like, and every other chef in the world. I know. My brother always has this question, which I I like. He always says, "If you could have one brand sponsor you, what would you want it to be?" Yours is KitchenAid. Mine's KitchenAid. Easy. 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 His is um, La Marsoco, the espresso company. They do like the espresso machines. Sure. Yeah. Because he likes espresso? He's a huge coffee person. Yeah, I don't drink coffee. It's I'm disgusting. sorry. It's absolutely disgusting. <laughs> you know what else is disgusting? Dark chocolate. Oh, I love dark chocolate. We wouldn't eat well together. I'm a bitter super taster. I think that's what it is. Mm. I don't like collard greens. Oh. I don't like any of anything that has like that like weird bitter, bitter aftertaste. Taste, yeah. Don't so what like brand it. would you want to sponsor you? Put it out in the world. God, I don't know. I mean, I use Pentax camera now, but you're just like that's your. They're they're soon going to get it's it's a we, there's a lot of reckoning going on in the camera business right now. Oh, interesting. Olympus, which is like a big company, mm-hmm. announced last week that they're getting out of the camera business. Oh wow! And uh, Pentax is owned by Rico, who makes like copiers and stuff like that. Hmm. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they closed up shop too, which. Is not good for me because I like their camera that I'm so using now. You have to like stock now. up. Uh, you know, if they went out of business, I would strongly consider buying a used one of the camera body that I have now, mm-hmm. just so that I have one for another few years. You know. Yeah. But my the camera that I use is funny. You know, back in the day, people would buy cameras and use them for 20 years. The camera that I have now came out in 2014. So in the grand scheme of like, you know, uh, camera technology, digital te- technology, mm-hmm. it's ancient. You know? Yeah, but the image quality is still top notch, so I don't really worry about it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess it'd be Pentax. I have to think about that one. What brand would I want to sponsor me? Yeah, like you're gonna like live the live the brand. Yeah, I'm gonna have to have to think about that. All right, let's go eat some dinner. All right, let's do it. Thank you, Molly, for taking the time. Thank you, my first podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 